everyone. Welcome to the Youth Critic Podcast on the Youth Critic Network. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Youth Critic Podcast. I'm your host, Kel Smith. Joining me this week is Jeremy Tao. Hey, how's it going? And we all, and also joining us again is David Weiser. Hey. Uh, and so, in uh, so Jeremy, since you are the guest on our show, uh, what movie are we talking about this week? We're going to be talking about the new Disney Pixar movie, Turning Red, by Domi Shi, the uh, Academy Award-winning director from the short film Bao, which played before The Incredibles 2 back in 2018, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Let's go. the academy award in 2019 i think yes mm-hmm. right um so kind of getting into it um i don't remember talking about bow that much on the incredibles podcast so uh starting with you jeremy what did you think of bow i thought bow was really good i i didn't get a chance to rewatch it uh before tonight but i uh I remember loving it very, very much. Um, the little <laughs> dumpling character at some point even kind of looked like me, arguably. And uh, and so, but yeah, it was very, it was just so unexpected, uh, especially back in like 2018, like before The Incredibles 2. And uh, yeah, it, it always held a very happy place, like, you know, in my memory and, and when I first saw the uh, the teaser or trailer for Turning Red, um, and I saw that it was the same filmmaker, I was really excited. Absolutely. Uh, and David, what about you? Uh, like Jeremy, I also haven't I haven't seen it since I last saw Incredibles two in theaters, which is three years ago. Um, so I don't have. Or I guess it was four years ago now. Oh my gosh. Um, <laughs> well, and yeah, so I don't have too recent memory of it. I, I remember liking the short. Um, I 
the dumpling character was really cute. Um, it was really interesting to kind of see it as like kind of this like metaphor for like raising a child or like as it like grew up and stuff. And so, yeah. <laughs> okay, so full disclosure, I probably should have said I was going to do this beforehand, but I did watch it just before we did the podcast. Um, but I, but, but yeah, I like all of you. I really loved it, and you and David, you brought up the idea of it's an allegory for a you know raising a child. It's an it's more of a metaphor of a mother. Mm-hmm you know, dealing with separation anxiety, separation, you know, like, I don't, I'm blanking on what the term is now, but there's like the whole term of like separation of like when a child grows up and leaves, you know, emptiness, that's, that's what, that's what it is. Oh, emptiness. Yeah, yeah. And I feel like it's an allegory for that of emptiness syndrome. And, and it really just works so well. And just like the power of the animation, the power, like it's all in silent. There's no, I don't think there's a word of dialogue spoken in all of seven minutes of it, but it's all this imagery of montage of just seeing this dumpling grow up. And you just see the story of how like even a mother's love can grow toxic towards a child or it can grow, you know, it can grow, it can hurt the child more than you know, you know, empower it. So I, I really, you know, found that kind of aspect more interesting. And I, and I, and I feel like there's like a tie between this and turning red of like this idea of, you know, children wanting to kind of grow up and mature and be their own people, but also struggling with the balance of, you know, also, you know, how do we, what do we do with our parents now, now that we are becoming our own people? So, and, and to me, that's like why I love like this kind of common thread that Dom, that Domi, she is, you know, she is creating throughout her work as an artist and as a filmmaker. So. Yeah, yeah, I, 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 I think a big common denominator between her short and her feature is like, it's really showing that because you know how like when you're a kid and like when you're like the little dumplings age and when you're uh, May May's age and it's like I don't know about y'all but like you know I you think that adults know everything and that they're like super grown and mature and like you know like they are they know everything they're talking about but then you see in these two movies you see the moments in these parents' lives when it's like, wow, like this is, I I have to really grow in this moment. And I really have to accept that like a certain chapter of my relationship with my uh, child, like it's, it's, you know, it's ending, but a, a brand new one is immediately starting. And it's, and um, sometimes you can forget about being excited for the next chapter when you're really scared of how the current one is going to end. And so, yeah, I think you see really vulnerable moments regarding that in both movies. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and something was uh, brought up in the documentary uh, that was like kind of attached to the movie, Uh, the, it was the Panda documentary 
Yeah. There was, you know, uh, Domi felt like she really needed like an, another mother to kind of be the producer, be a creative, you know, head of the movie. So she brought in Lindsay Collins, who is a mother of teenagers and uh, to really kind of help with the story. Cause uh, Domi, she's still, uh, she's not a mother herself, I don't believe, or it wasn't in a specific, specified in the documentary. So she was, you know, and even then she w- doesn't know the experience of have, being on the other side. She doesn't know what it's like to be Ming in this story of turning mm-hmm. red. So she, you know, asked for a lot of advice and a lot of, you know, Lindsay's or Lindsay Collins's uh, advice was more vulnerable. Like it's more, more and more, like the older they get, the more vulnerable you get because you know, you've been through these things, you know, as a teenager, as your own self of like either your growing body or, you know, relationships or all this stuff, but you don't know how to communicate to that, to your child. So that was kind of in, so going into this, I found that kind of interesting because I felt like her, the way she illustrated the relationship in the mother and son in Bao was, I mean, was perfect. I, but also it shows so much growth in her that, for her first feature, she's thinking about all these things. You know, she's not just thinking, you know, singularity or singularly about, you know, uh, Milan's, you know, story for this. You know, she's thinking about Ming's story as well. And it, it is evident throughout the entire movie. So, and that's what I found very powerful, but, um, Getting into it, what what are what else did you guys think of turning red? Um, okay, I'll throw it to I'll throw it to David. Sorry. Um, I really liked it. Um, it's very sincere, heartfelt, and I liked how like culturally rich it was. With like, I don't know, she's like a Chinese Canadian, and so that's kind of a very like unique. But then like. It also feels very grounded in like the coming of age elements that feel so universal, even though I've never been a 13 year old girl. <laughs> like there, it, it, remi- it reminded me of eighth grade in that way where it like, okay, well you, you can at least relate to the experience of being an awkward teenager as you're kind of going through puberty and all these things and everything that comes with that and like kind of what it's like to try to like fit in it's like different social groups and like kind of keep your friends together and like as Jeremy was alluding to um about like kind of then there's like the struggle of like respecting your parents versus like also like trying to be cool and all these different things and I think this movie kind of like tackled all of that very well and it still like it, it felt very focused throughout it all like it never felt like it like lost sight of what it was about. Yeah, Jer and Jeremy. Um. So, if my math is correct, Malin is like a year younger than me, and so I, I was like very present in this time period that in in, the movie takes place in 2002 um Mm -hmm. and so when she was in eighth grade I think I was like a freshman in high school and so I really you know I was really into the 
the aesthetics and and you know just just the environment and and the times and it was it it really took me back to that period of time in my life and my tamagotchi and like being a super weird eighth grade kid and like but what i really loved about the movie like one of the things specifically i thought her i thought every character in her little uh group of friends were it was just awesome like i think the creative team just really did an amazing job with just like i mean they're all so different and just just with amazing characters and and like and just color palettes and just it was just it was really awesome and um my favorite was abby i believe the the short korean girl yeah she was my favorite um and yeah i just i really liked how normal and real the each of the girls in the group of friends were it was it was really refreshing to see like you know just some kids like 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 who we were like not long ago you know absolutely uh like for absolutely and i mean when i was i was like i was watching spider-man there when the events of this movie are happening so uh so that's what i was doing in 2002 um but yeah i was so but yeah and but yeah that's the thing that i love about this movie is a like they get to be you know 13 14 year old girls like you get this incredible group with miriam um Abby and then uh, Pyra, is that what? And Pyra? I think, I think so. And I loved, you know, I loved all, I mean, of course, Abby is the, you know, MVP of the group because she yeah. just seems steals the whole movie. Um, but also Pyra's dry pan and then Miriam's just being, you know, supportive, just being like, yeah. I, and it's just so cool to see like these characters like so fully developed and just like the and even more so like they're all like in sync like they all are sharing the same emotions for you know boys and attraction and the four town which is i guess the stand-in for in sync or backstreet boys uh for this universe um but yeah, I was so like, you know, in, but I was very much like in, into that group. And also like one of the core themes of this movie is, you know, self-love and she first, so I, we're kind of jumping around in this movie. Um, uh, the, for those who don't know, it's this, Malin is a 13 year old girl who um, is, I guess, gifted with the ability of turning into a red panda uh and you know and the story goes along and it's more of a story of self-acceptance and self-love and what i love about you know the friends you know the what what they represent is this kind of self-love and acceptance that she needs in this moment like as much as this movie is like an allegory of puberty and growing up it's also it feels strangely like you know, it feels strangely like a queer allegory too. Cause there's this whole, you know, idea of love and acceptance. And I mean, even like when, you know, it's all out on the table about uh, Malin's panda and how like it's 
there's a cure, there's all, you know, you can solve this or you can, you know, and really the cure is just like suppressing it. It's just, you know, that's really what it is. And then, you know, and then, you know, the moment like she's left alone in her room with just the bed, you know, the just the mattress, like that's even worse, <laughs> just the pitiful mattress. Um, you know, she just sits there and cry because she hasn't like completely lost all self-esteem or love for herself or any love for herself until, of course, you know, she is encountered with her friends. She comes out to them about the bear and then they just fully accept her. And I feel like, like that's like the running theme of, and something like I'm just so proud of to see in this movie. Like just the idea of, you know, self-love and then what happens when you don't have, you know, what happens when you internal or internalize trauma and internalize, you know, self-doubt and punishment for yourself. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I think it, it was a really beautiful <clears throat> example of like unconditional love, you know, both, both from a, a, f- a family and from a, a friend perspective. And um, yeah. And also too, like, like, you know, near the end of the movie, when, uh, when Maylin is kind of throwing her friends under the bus and doesn't speak up, to her mom you know i'm talking about mm-hmm. about about you know pimping out the, the, the panda um it was it was really satisfying to see the growth in Maylin, you know slash the red panda uh in, in the end of the movie and um yeah it was it was really awesome to see like all the 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 aunties in the family and and they they really did a great job a really funny and accurate uh job of showing you know like an asian american immigrant family and it was it was really great it was really refreshing to see and i I really love this movie a lot yeah um and yeah and so well actually do you uh actually david do you have anything else to add um i want to say how it's so interesting to me how like with like the last three or four pixar movies i feel like they've really been stretching their um i guess boundaries of what what is stylistically a pixar movie like i feel like if you compare this with like luca and soul like those last three in a row like they all look very distinct stylistically where before a lot of their stuff not to say like it looked the same but there was a very homogenized pixar look that like kind of became like the cg animated like homogenized disney look all around including walt disney animation studios's um branch as well and i i really love that they've been like kind of breaking out with each movie lately kind of with its own distinct style and I love how with Turning Red in particular, how expressive the characters' faces were and like how it kind of like, I feel like that aspect alone really, really enhances a lot of the, um, like the comedy as well as like kind of the more emotional moments. And then like even um, 
you know, the moments when like they're just like angst, they're like they have all like the teen angst and like the cringing like of like the embarrassment and all of all of those things, like the hyper uh, expressive uh, face facial reactions, like really added so much to that. Yeah, yeah, I I totally I totally agree with that. It's it was in, correct me if I'm wrong, but it was it's one of the rare instances in Pixar movies when you have a character like breaking the fourth wall and like you know really engaging when she I really liked the part when she was like talking about how she's 13 years old and pretty much an adult and is showing you her card and then the bus driver's like okay congratulations <laughs> like that yeah. that was a really beautiful now. and funny transition and um no yeah you're totally right it's the the detail and and also too if you noticed she has glasses yeah. and like you don't you have not really seen thus far in disney pixar movies where you have a main character like with glasses and going off of what you're saying in the in the uh, documentary kale they were really hammering home like moles on the face and and like you know like uh, the really beautiful part when they were talking about how domi wanted to base one of the characters noses off of one of the producers noses because she really loved how it looked and blah 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 and the producers mm -hmm. talking about it was just so crazy how something i've been self-conscious about my whole life was desired and liked by Domi and wanted to very intentionally design it onto one of these characters and it's just it's really cool it's becoming so detailed and so just the the they just look just so awesome now and even the environments themselves look even more like I don't want to say lifelike but they just look more cinematically appealing like they just look so like rich with color and vibrant and you know real and authentic and tactile like just all the things you know it's not but it's never like you know it's not like realistic like something you would see out of like a, a short from love death and robots but it, it's still like you know it lands like it lands with a you know impact when you see it it makes you feel more into the world i mean there's that the great shot that's referenced in the documentary, but there's this, this great shot of like, you know, of Malin in the car after the second act, you know, where she's driving home and she's both hurt by like, and traumatized by what she had just done to Tyler, you know, but also like, you know, how she's disappointed her mother. There's a this great, like just in the car and the lights and just everything. And then like to add to that, she even like kind of betrayed her friend group in a way by not really speaking up. Like she kind of just let her mom kind of let them kind of take the blame for like using her or whatever and manipulating her. And like, so like she has all of that kind of going on internally as well. Um, another thing from the documentary while, while we keep bringing it up occasionally, I really liked how um, Domi kind of mentioned how um, the red pandas like how she found certain things and like their behavior and their characteristics that she felt really mirrored like may at this uh, at this time in the 
in the movie as she's kind of going through puberty and things like just certain little characteristics and behavior behavioral things that the red pandas did like and how she found like a correlation between the two like i thought that was really clever yeah hands up in the air whenever she was like super stressed and stuff yeah that you're totally right that was that was really funny and really cool to see um mm. I really liked, uh, I really wanted to, to mention and talk about how freaking awesome the food porn was in this movie. Oh my God. <laughs> this is like, it Nancy was both beautiful. Level. This is like Nancy Myers level, like food pornography. Yeah. Like someone get that, get like, oh my God. Like I was like, I want this food. What, what? <laughs> like they and they talk about mr uh mr they talk about mr jen's uh food throughout the movie like how great it is and it's like yeah we know we saw him cook it <laughs> can we talk about how great he was as like the dad like i loved how like soft-spoken he was but when he did have dialogue like it was like like it was very impact like when he has that conversation with may about like oh you should um you should like kind of reconsider what you're doing right now. Maybe you don't want to get rid of the panda and kind of like reaffirming like that self-love that she's kind of gained as she's learned to like accept the panda. And um, there's like that. And then just like, he has little moments of like comic relief throughout the whole thing. And then even like, if you watched the, through the credits, there's like a little post-credit scene with him dancing to a fort, portrait, what is it? Portrait. Four Town. I was gonna say Four Train, um, Four Town, a uh, Four Town song, and like down in the basement, and like he was just such a great supporting character. Like even though he doesn't have a lot of lines, like when he was utilized. Yeah. No. And what I love about this movie is it's all like this whole family. It's all about the women. It's all about you know, the moms, the aunties, like, they're the ones in power, and then the men, they just have to do, they just have to, like, follow the lead, like, you know, I, I just love the little, it's just one moment, but I just love the moment, he just grabs the chalk from this, the, the concert, just starts, you know, running, you know, ferociously <laughs> around to make the, a big enough circle for, for male, for me. <laughs> a perfect circle, mind you, a perfect, massive circle, it was impressive. I know. In the time he had. Yeah. yeah. Oh my God. It, Underrated. I really think that energy carried from, um, you know, this, this entirely women-led filmmaking team, you know, mm-hmm. it, you could really feel that, that, that energy and that, that kind of, the, the stance they were really taken with, with all of that. And it was, uh, yeah, it was awesome. It was really, really cool to, you know, I'm not, a, I've never been a 13 year old Asian American or Asian Canadian girl, but like I, May May is kind of, you know, she reminds me of a lot of cousins and friends that I've had. And it was really refreshing to see an Asian, uh, like a young Asian kid with like hearing Cantonese in a Disney Pixar movie. It was really cool. Really, really cool. And uh, yeah, it's, 
it's uh yeah it was really cool right and also well here's the thing so i think there's been a not that people should be reading audience reviews on rotten tomato rotten tomatoes um or like bad face tweets but there's been kind of like this thing going around before the movie and i guess now during the movies you know now out um that there was this problem of of it not being relatable enough of it being just you know only going to contain to this pertain to this one audience and for me i felt like that was so that was such that's not true at all like i feel like we all to assert i feel like everyone watching this movie can relate to Malin's story or relate to Ming's you know struggle like I feel like anyone can I feel like there the the universe the universality excuse me of growing up and wanting to be your own individual person in the face of you know either overprotective parents or maybe even you're trying to figure out like how to maybe not just honor, but just be still like, you know, in present in your parents' life, but also still be an active teenager transitioning to an adult. I feel like that's so universal. Like, I don't know how anyone could miss that. Unless they were racist, but that, that's a... Well, you know, it's, it's, you, if, if, if people really, whoever does truly believe that you, you have to feel sorry at how weak of an imagination they must have, right? And um, and then you also do like what you're referencing, Kale. You got to think about like all of these other Disney Pixar examples of like you know, like Inside Out has been drawing a lot of parallels in this conversation and um, talking about like you know, like being a bad kid and and like I mean the riley the kid from inside out like stole some cash and bought like a bus ticket to like go cross country right and so it's like why why is this specific one kind of you you just have to if that conversation is going to be had you have to kind of explore all of the different elements that 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 make up that conversation right or even more, or even more recently, I mean, Soul, I mean, Jamie Foxx's character really does, he doesn't intentionally do it, but he really does devalue Tina Fey's character uh, in such a way to where she doesn't have any self-esteem. And then, but, you know, that's not the conversation that got for that movie. And then a movie later, Luca, that was not the conversation, you know, Luca you know, literally runs away from his family with, an, with, uh, with, oh gosh, I, the, Alberto. You know, Alberto, there, thank you. Uh, he runs away with Alberto to, uh, to the mainland, and where was that conversation? Like, did, Pixar has kind of forgoed, like, the perfect kid, or perfect character, or perfect protagonist, for a little while even onward has a character even onward has like characters where they steal their they run away to go and in you know sidestep the mom to you know get to their dad so 
I mean, Pixar's been kind of, you know, doing this for a little while. And I think for Turning Red, it's just, it really, I don't, like, it It hit a nerve, but also, like, this is the movie where it feels like the most, like, this is kid empowerment. Like, if this is a movie that's going to be set in 2002, in this kind of, in back in the early 2000s, late, or 90s, and late to, early 2000s, there was a whole, you know, a lot of shows were in movies that were very kid empowerment. They were very much, so, you know, I'm sure, um, so I'm sure uh, Domi was, you know, because she's not that much older for, than us, I don't think. But, so she, I'm sure she was watching these movies too and wanting to capitalize on this as well to be like, no, this is, going to be Malin's movie and this is going to be you know her stand you know she likes boys she likes loud music she wants to you know this is going to be her like Malin's character is going to express herself the real you know climax of the story is also understanding where Ming is coming from is understanding the trauma that's within Ming that's the climax of turning red so yeah and you're right. It like there's a lack of imagination if you don't relate to these people. Exactly. <clears throat> um, man, I forgot what I was about to say. Oh, I'm sorry. I know you're good. Oh, I was gonna say, I found Mei Lin like a Disney Pixar version of Tina from Bob's Burgers. Um like yeah. you know yeah and especially with like when she was drawing the sexy pictures underneath the bed and like it was just very it really made me think of of bob's of some scenes from bob's burgers and just feeling secondhand embarrassment for for may may and oh, um boast. yeah oh. yeah um but yeah it's it's uh it was just really uh it was really cool to because because the thing is like this this one's not for for really young kids like this is really for I think you really have had to go live through middle school to really appreciate this movie and understand this movie I think the part I think the like red panda like the cuteness of that can appeal to kids but like the actual understanding like the deeper themes and stuff you all have to have experience it yeah yeah um and it's shockingly mature for a pixar movie like probably one of the most mature like i mean like it it feels like it's very um unfiltered and like very honest and real about like like i don't know puberty in particular like like there's like feminine hygiene products and stuff that you wouldn't really expect to see in a disney movie and so like that was kind of cool like to and then like like these characters are like really i mean it's not like sexualized but like they're they're horny in a way and so like they that's like another thing that's like you wouldn't really expect to be um prominently highlighted in a pixar movie either and i I think that's kind of cool that this movie like doesn't feel like it's um what's the um they're attractive watered down watered down i guess it's it's not watered down with its um with any of the like real world um implication implications of puberty and stuff 
Well, here's the thing. I mean, the idea that she turns into a red panda already, and she's 13, that already is like the, like very much on the nose as I do. Oh yeah. So, uh, so for me, it's, you know, and you were, and to bring up the kids thing, I think you can, I think like three or five-year-olds can watch this movie. Like this, there's nothing in this movie that's like, odd like as someone who watched batman returns when they were four years old and completely didn't get any of the sexual endos <laughs> in that movie like like now 27 year old me is like wow i really missed a lot um uh, but i think really what my if, if if i were to be like to speak to the parent parent groups it's like there's nothing in this movie that really is bad it's just it's going to go over their head oh yeah and so it's not i mean even the whole like transformation like she's having like these images of like devin like you know in mermaid form in mermaid form you know like croaking like there's some little tiny scary images but it's not like throughout the whole movie and even they and they even have fun with like you know ming is like pandazilla or whatever Oh, I loved that, that they made her like a kaiju-sized <laughs> red panda. Like, because like the, through the whole movie, they kind of like allude to the fact that her red panda was like, oh, was so fearsome. And like, so you're just kind of like expecting like she's going to be like, I don't know, very angry if it comes out. Like it, you weren't expecting it to be like literally kaiju-sized. <laughs> and I, I thought that was great. And it's kind of like, um, I guess to more bridezilla but i guess like momzilla in the way like kind of like mothers like when they have like that that rage comes forward then it's like this like almost a monster like and so i thought that was cool and then i love as we kind of alluded to like the climactic scene i i love 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 the scene when like they actually are undergoing the ceremony and may may like come finds her mother like aged down like at her age and you, she sees her like emotionally devastated by what's happening. And I'm guessing she's finding her at that time, so to speak. So she's, it's more like, she's not upset about what's currently going on, but like, and like kind of for her to realize that her mom underwent the same kind of, had a lot of similar experiences to her and that like, this is kind of like a generational trauma. Um, like it's very cyclical. And uh, I thought that was just a very beautiful scene. And then when they walk together and as her mother ages, as they're going through the bamboo, like that, that was great. Mm-hmm. Well, and yeah, the thing also I love about that montage is it just lets you know how long, like to me, I kind of feel like the, maybe this is just me like the idea of like the big panda is supposed to be like how bad like her I, I felt like it was like a representation of her esteem and trauma you know when I was watching it for when I was watching it, like this is so seeing the montage after knowing the truth that um she gave her grandmother the scar that's on like in in between her eyes uh and then that montage i mean she's been having to carry that her whole adulthood that you know you know she was 13 she turned big 
she hurt her mother and she's been carrying that for her whole life and that's been the guiding force of her whole life and to me I don't know like the, this is a representation of how that montage unfolds itself it's so beautiful it's so heartbreaking uh what just absolutely wonderful and the music just it's almost non-existent it just lets the montage play out um and yeah it's just wonderful um and then also kind of going back to it so um Jeremy did you see Encanto by any chance I have not seen Encanto yet okay so David may or may not disagree with me but I feel like these two movies are like shaking each other's hands with the idea of generational trauma and also the trauma of immigration or immigration to a new land and you know and the trauma of that like what happens to a family or what happens to to people when they have to migrate from one area to another and this because the and the biggest clue of that story for me is you know when we get to hear the origin of the red panda you know story like the story like you hear it, it's a story about this mother, Sun, uh, Sun Yi. Um, she, you know, begged the gods, you know, to have a power to protect her family and her village, you know, from, you know, bandits and, you know, warmongers that, that were, or invaders. And so it's, so it was so like compelling to hear this heroic story and then translate like how it's transferred to each daughter you know, every, you know, generation, and now that they have moved, they're now having to suppress this thing that, that should be kind of prideful, that should be, you know, like, oh, that's kind of cool, your mom, hey, your ancestor, you know, became a panda, but no, it's, it's this idea of, like, they moved to a new land, and because they are trying to assimilate to a new environment, they have to suppress this, like, really cool thing about their themselves or their culture or you know just some or their family their their past and how that even has you know caused even more you know generational trauma so and then Encanto is basically like you know we were gifted this house or this you know this newfound you know freedom and we should do everything we can to appreciate it and then it falls and then the whole idea of it, it falls apart because of all that pressure so i feel like these two movies are like just shaking each other's hand if you will i don't know if i just made any sense at all but i feel like but i feel like that was kind of like the interesting thread to have like Encanto and turning red just like having these ideas like these conversations about like immigrational immigrational and generational trauma so. no I, you, you you make I, I get what you're saying for sure. Yeah. Okay. Um, but yeah, so I want to, so I guess for me is like, what else did we think about like this red panda thing? Like the, the idea of the red panda, if you will. I know we kind of talked about like pimping up the, pimping out the panda. I thought it was kind of 
like interesting to like and it felt like authentic to like what a 13 year old would actually do to see like them exploit the panda in order to get what they want and i thought it was funny that they like made all like this merch for it and stuff and like they just like totally sold it to all these like other junior high kids um i love that they created a little empire within weeks yeah (laughs) it uh it, it reminded me of some school hustles that I witnessed when I was in, in school. And yeah, you're right, David, just like how <laughs> it is so real how four 13-year-old girls are immediately going to think like, yeah, like this is going to get us into the Four Town concert, obviously. Um, I remember this girl when I was in high school uh she was 18 like our junior year of high school pretty much and her hustle was she would buy a pack of marlboro reds every morning and she didn't smoke and she would sell uh cigs for a dollar a piece and was raking in cash (laughs) and so yeah I I, i thought of that for the first time in years when i uh when i saw the girls uh hustling hard brilliant oh my god that's brilliant <laughs> i have not i did not see any side hustles but i'm, I'm assuming but i'm definitely positive there were I'm, oh yeah I'm, I'm positive there were uh but yeah um and that's what i love about the second act and also like you see like her she's you know loving herself for doing it like she's the first kind of like instagram model if you will um, before Instagram was like a, before Facebook and Instagram existed, like she, Malin is gonna. That's why I kind of like want a sequel. Like, what does she do in this like Facebook Instagram era with the Red Panda? Like, does she get to raise more money for the new um, dome or Superdome, whatever it's called? Like, did like you know like like what does she do now with this gift? Also, it would I, be cool. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no. I just had a thought in my head. I love the real life consequences in this movie. Like they're not just like brushing off that, you know, oh yeah, we destroyed a concert. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in a, in uh, an amphitheater and whatnot. That's, you know, I love that they now have to make, I, I mean, I hate it for them because it's just growing pain. Cause like it's, it is growing pains, but it's just like, there are legitimate consequences to what to this you know to what has transpired yeah you'd think that some insurance of some kind would kind of take care of (laughs) of that but no it's for for the story it was pretty funny they don't account for kaiju sized red pandas (laughs) dang it dang it (laughs) maybe that's what it is they're paying the insurance bill they're helping them pay the yeah. insurance bill. Yeah. That's what it is. <laughs> you know, um, but you know, I loved it. It, you know, and then I love how like they in they they resolved all the relationships. I love like there's this now this compromise, it's not compromise, but it's like, you know, there's this m- neutral place for everyone. Like everyone now gets to enjoy Mr. Jen's cooking, but she gets to also go karaoke, you know. And yeah, I I really enjoyed the uh, yeah I really liked the ending and 
trying to think is there anything uh is there anything else and we have kind of gone into spoilers i should have i'll put like a spoiler warning on the the thing on the head but you know but but no i'm but yeah so uh was there anything else anyone wanted to talk about with turning rad i was kind of surprised we're like ludwig Gorenson's score didn't really stand out to me like i haven't listened to it since seeing the movie or anything but like usually his music like like is very noticeable or like not in like a bad way like in the way that like you're like oh my gosh I love this track or whatever but like I never really felt that with this movie yet uh, I've only seen it once so maybe that's something that'll grow on me later but I just thought it was interesting like it kind of felt like kind of like you just kind of phoned it in but <laughs> like <laughs> To be fair, I mean, he just did the, you know, or helped out on the book of Boba Fett, so. Yeah, I mean, he's kind of busy. Like, he's still, you know, and he's got, like, I mean, he's awaiting to see if he's, you know, going to be able to finish Black Panther this year, so. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Um, well, what did you think, uh, Jeremy? What did you think about Lovewood's score? It, no, I totally have to agree. It's not really memorable to me very much. And it's, you know, it's, I mean, I'm sure it was great, you know, but it's like, no, I get what you're saying, where it's, you have those moments where it's like, wow, this is really, really complimenting, really banging right now. And I'm with you there. You didn't really get that too much. So I agree to... Okay, so I agree to an extent that it does. It's, it is. I don't want to say it's phoned in, but it is. That's that's a little weird. harsh. <laughs> it is for for Ludwig, like in terms of what he's done recently with like Tenet compared to this, or well, Black Panther like compared concept. to this. You know, <laughs> Tenet's like going to like an, you know, to like Tenet is like an um. um I don't know how you're going to ever be Tenet, um, but. Um, well, I will say this. There is like Malin and Ming's theme that kind of is interwoven in the first, like in the first time like they have their, uh, their scene together and it is used. And if you do pay attention, cause I did have, luckily the advantage of this being on Disney plus is I get to watch this multiple times and I've only, I've only done twice. Um, but I did notice like it being a motif like throughout the film, like you know, as it you know, either crescendos higher or crescendos lower, you know. So I noticed it a lot more on the second viewing, but it is kind of weak. And then the in sync like ripoffs, I'm like, could they just not get like in sync or uh, the backstreet boys to just come they in? They feel they feel borderline plagiarized. Like, I know it's like it parody, but it, <laughs> it... Yeah, I mean, especially, like, it just feels like, I know they're not, like, together now, but it just feels like just, you could just get, like, their approval. I mean, if Sean Baker can get bye-bye, you know, for Red Rocket, um and and Sean Baker can use the bye bye song as like a horror motif for the movie, uh, then uh this should not be a problem. Come on, Pixar. Um, yeah, I I just wasn't that in 
and also the songs they are kind of just like hacky but maybe that's like how it's supposed to be like they're supposed to just be like you're you're supposed to just buy into the fact that these girls are just they're just there for the sex appeal mm-hmm. so maybe so um and then so let's kind of get into the corporate i guess corporate side of things so uh, so there, so on Wikipedia, I kind of looked in their reason of like, and I guess it's an official statement, like the reason why they pushed this to um, Disney Plus, because this was supposed to come out this weekend in theaters. Like it was supposed to have an IMAX release. It was supposed to have um, Dolby, you know, full full car- cartilage, you know, full carte you know, just like the full treatment. And now it's only in three theaters in America. It's in the AMC Empire um, in New York, the El Capitan in Los Angeles, in Hollywood. And then it's in Oakland, California uh, at one of their like indie houses, according to Wikipedia. And then there's one other theater in England that's showing it uh, for some, in London for some reason. But other than that, it's exclusively Disney. And their reason is the Omnicron, which I mean, it's fair because I mean, even Morbius moved um, to April Fool's Day, which. Because that movie's going to be a joke. But maybe that's the joke. <laughs> it's supposed to come out on April Fool's, but then it's just going to be a gotcha. Maybe. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> um. So, but the real kind of reason is each of the subsidiaries, uh, Lucasfilm, Marvel, Pixar, um, National Geographic, uh, is there any others that I'm forgetting? Oh, Fox, Fox, sorry. Uh, They all have to like contribute to the Disney Plus or Hulu, you know, if you're Fox. Um, So, And because Pixar, they're not like Lucasfilm or Marvel where they can just produce TV shows, you know, given, you know, a year or two of, you know, ahead of time, they can't, their quality is too standard for it to just be, so they're just relying on the movies. So that's why Luca, the sole movie of Pixar, got put on, you know, Disney Plus. And then that's, and I'm assuming Turning Red just got sacrificed because I guess someone thought that the Buzz Lightyear movie that's coming out in June is going to somehow be more successful than Turning Red. Which I is, think it's about IP. Yeah, well, that too. Turning Red, Turning Red is an original movie, whereas Lightyear is based on pre-existing IP. That was what their differentiator was behind why they put this on streaming versus putting Lightyear in theaters. Right, and and because and that's... Because to me, that's the only way I can kind of explain why Lucasfilm like was like, no, we're gonna release the book of Boba Fett. We're gonna, but we're gonna release it on the December 29th, the last possible Wednesday of the year. And that show has like had like a very mixed response, as you and I have talked about, Jeremy. I don't know how you feel about the book of Boba Fett, but you know, but unless. Uh, um, so it, it's just like D- Disney is prioritizing the streaming, you know, Disney Plus over their theatrical releases, and I, 
and I don't feel completely comfortable because, and also Pixar shouldn't, I don't think Pixar shouldn't have to, especially since like the last three or four movies they have done have been like some of the most interesting and more original movies they've put out in like a decade. Besides like Inside Out, of course, and Coco. So uh, I just wanted to kind of get everyone's thoughts. Like what did everyone, so I guess, how do you feel about like turning red going into just being a Disney plus? I mean, honestly, I have no opinion on it, to be honest. Everything, like everything has been, you know, past three years is just a crapshoot on everything it seems like and i'm honestly i'm a little i wish for domi they would have gotten a theater release but like i mean what are you gonna do like i think david what david said is like totally um that makes total sense from a business perspective so but yeah i really wish i could have seen it in imax but um i'm just glad people are watching it and people are talking about it online yeah i it's kind of a I, I feel it's weird for me here's what i'll say i wish like i, I kind of went like what you said jeremy i kind of wish um i wish Domi, i wish domi like really had the opportunity to showcase you know her team and her work and their or in their work on the big screen, you know, but also, I mean, more people watched in Encanto on Disney Plus than they saw in theaters. That's their project. That's their estimates. Um, like that's kind of the word on the street is like their their films are doing much better on Disney Plus. They're animated movies than they are in theaters anyway. And I understand, like, I don't think it's, I don't think it's fair to be like, okay, well, now, because that's what Sony's doing. Sony's just, like, exclusively in theaters for three, four months and just deal with it, right? So I, I don't think that's completely fair, but also I, I wish, like, people, I wish there was still the opportunity is what I'm getting at. Like, even if it was this the Encanto release, which was 30-day theatrical window, and then you get to get it on Christmas Day or Christmas Eve, uh, like 30, you get it 30 days later on Disney Plus. So I, I wish there was a little bit more fair because I do think the animation, their, their lineup is getting a little bit more, you know, run. But I mean, we'll see. I mean, maybe you know, holding it off, holding these Pixar movies off from theaters will make the fans of Pixar be able to celebrate Lightyear more, like people, more people will show up to Lightyear. Also, this is just me assuming as of this podcast recording that Lightyear will still be theatrically released. So, I mean, I'm assuming they will, but they didn't put it on Disney Plus till like six weeks ago, so or announced it was going to be to like six weeks ago, six or eight weeks ago. So I don't know. Um, um, so we'll see. And also, like, I, and also, I, are we excited for Lightyear? Because I don't, 
I generally don't know how people feel about Lightyear. I like the trailers. It looks interesting. Like how it's kind of going for like this like space explorer vibe or like kind of like like it's almost like 2001 A Space Odyssey meets Toy Story in a way. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. And uh, you, Jeremy? Yeah, it looks interesting. I, you know, I'm not I'm not thinking about it very often, but it's it looks pretty cool. I'll check it out for sure. All right. Yeah, I mean, I think it looks great. It just well, I, we'll see how it goes. I'm not I think I've already said goodbye to this Toy Story franchise like twice now, so we'll see how this goes. Um um but yeah all right so with that um do we have any more thoughts on turning red before uh we close out the show nope not that i can think of all right okay all right um starting with you jeremy where can the good people find you and what are you working on uh i'm currently in pre-production for my next short film called walkman um and uh yeah just picking up some freelance film production gigs here and there and just hanging out um you can follow me on instagram at at jeremy tau t-h-a-o and on twitter at jeremy underscore tau so yeah all right, I'll have links in the description below. David, where can the good people find you and what are you working on? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at wider underscore David. I also have a blog I know we've talked about. Um, I haven't written on it in a while, but that's called Film Assessment if you want to go look at some old reviews. So <laughs> we'll leave it at that. <laughs> okay, all right. And again, of course, all links and um, tags will be in the description below. Um, Thanks everyone uh, for listening in. We will be back. I don't know what we're going to talk about next week because um, I've not finished Euphoria yet. Um, And that was going to be the next week's episode. So uh, we'll see. And then we have also not talked about Drive My Car or The Worst Person in the World. So it'll be either one of those episodes. So stay tuned for more updates and thanks everyone. We'll be back with you um, pretty soon. All right. Thanks guys. Thank you. What did you say? Our ancestors had a mystical connection with red pandas. Are you kidding me? This little quirk brought us in our family. I've always wanted a tail. I'm a freak. We love you, May. You're our girl. (sighs) Whoa. You're you. Any strong emotion will release the panda. Abby, hit me. (gasps) Do you know how dangerous this is? You'll get whipped up into a frenzy and panda all over. I've been perfect little Maymay. But maybe I like this new me. <laughs> Mama's girls. <laughs> <laughs>